Father, it is indeed that we want to thank you for this day. For it is the day that you have made and we are glad to be in it. To be among the land of the living. The land whereby we have been presented this opportunity by your great mercies, by your great grace to live for your glory, to make much of your name, to praise you in all of the days that we have starting now. Come now, Holy Spirit, breathe on us all. Bless us to understand your word, your word which sanctifies us and makes us holy. It separates us. It grants us the power to know your will and to live according to your will. Be with me. Unclutter my mind. Unclutter my thoughts. Touch me from on high. Fill my mouth with your words. And more importantly, Lord Jesus, hide me behind the power of your cross that all that would be said here tonight would be of you and nothing of myself. We thank you for it now. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen, amen. Thank you, praise team. Well, please stand with me as we dive right into God's word from Romans 13. Um, Christians, submission, civil government and authority, part three. And the overall title is God's message to the children of God. Um, God is speaking to his people, to the church in Rome, which therefore all the church from all time and even to now. God is speaking to us. How then shall we live? And we're reaching this part where now we're Christians, submission and civil governments and authority and how all of that works in the life of a Christian. Here we go. Romans 13. It says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. That's where I'm going to hang my hat tonight. And for this reason, you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants and continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone and taxes to those whom you owe taxes. So if you owe back taxes, please pay them. Tolls to those who you owe tolls. Respect to those who you owe respect and honor to those who you owe honor. 
The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you say, man, pastor, get over, get out of that taxes part, man. I don't want to pay no taxes. <laughs> man, the word of God deals with it all, doesn't it? All right. Um, throughout this sermon series, we have um, I have repeatedly from this pulpit and I will continue to say so. And I've made statements about Christianity that one must embrace as they grow as a Christian. Um, I, I truly believe if you don't embrace this theology as a Christian, it's just going to be a rough go for you. And so the first thing that I've said that I've made a statement about is that that the life of a Christian is a supernatural undertaking. It is not a natural thing. R.C. Sproul, the great theologian, rest in peace, says if you take away the supernatural, we take away Christianity. Christianity is not of this world. As we have been reading through chapter 12, chapter 13, it's like this is not how the world thinks. It's not of the world's mentality, how the world uh, goes about doing life. This has to come from God, someone else other than the world, because the world would never ask us to do any of these things that we see Paul giving to the church in Rome and therefore all of us as well. And the second thing that I've made here from this pulpit in this sermon series and just all along this being here um, as a church planter here in Fairfield that I spoke about on last week. And here's what I said. I said in order to really understand what Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans 13, we must have a good. And I say that I'm um, not to. Um, um, go too quickly over this, but you really must have an understanding of what the Holy Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation concerning the providence of God. And so what do we mean when we say the providence of God? That God is gracious, oversight of the universe. He upholds all things. He governs all events, both small and big and all in between that he directs everything to its appointed end, that there's not a, you know, and this is good for when I started to grow into this, wow, it just makes, it's so much peace with this. Cause you know, I grew up in era, me and Sandra did in high school. Some of y'all remember this, but we had to take, um, do the test, at least in Louisville we did. I don't think I did it so much in Grand Rapids, you know, maybe they thought because they were in the North, they had a lot of snow, they couldn't get blown up. But in Louisville, we had to actually, they would ring the bells and we all had to kind of run outside and run it down the hallway and get down on the floor because we were um, uh, preparing just in case. Um, back in the day, I think his name was Gorbachev and I can't remember the uh, dictator before him that he may just drink too much of his um, Russian vodka and he just like, give me the button <laughs> and push the button. And therefore, uh, hundreds of thousands of nukes were coming towards America, and therefore they had um, places that we should go, little bonkers in the school in Louisville, where we would go and just for exercises and purposes. And so, man, I was like, be up all night, you know, watching them videos and seeing what a nuclear bomb would do to somebody. And so, man, when I came to understand this, it, it just helped me to understand that um, 
If some dictator does do that, and who will imagine we have a lot of nuclear bombs out there, and I would imagine in God's sovereign power and providence that who knows, one of them will be given the okay to go ahead and push the button. And I pray to God that I don't be here. And so that's why I tell my, my guys around me, I'm always trying to get out of here because I don't want to be here when, when those nukes hit. And so when we say God directs everything to his appointed end, I mean, he's in full control of that. And then he does this all the time in every circumstance. And he does it always for his own glory. I meant to bring my big book here tonight. I got the new book by John Piper. It's about that thick. So if you like to read and you want to be challenged about understanding God's providence, go get John Piper's book. And it's about a thousand pages and it will just uh, immerse you in God's providence. When in this book, John Piper says that providence is the act. He defines providence as the act purposeful providing for or sustaining and governing the world that God in his purposes that he is providing for and that he is the one that is sustaining and he is the one that is governing and he is the one that's governing the world. And I would say here, and I said it on last week, that the greatest act of providence of God, I said it during communion, was God providing his son as a ransom for sinners. It was not by accident. God did not leave it up for chance and provide his son for the remission of the sins of the people of God. That was not left up to chance that God um, designed it the day that his son died, the time that he was born of a woman. All of that was in God's eternal plan. It was provided for. God did not leave all of the details up for chance for all of that to be pulled off. And so here today, if you're struggling with the problem of evil, and suffering, you're not the only one. Most people do. Even in your own life personally, if you're struggling with the problem of evil and suffering, I would encourage you to meditate on the incarnation of God in human flesh. His sufferings. Why did God um, send his son knowing full well that he was going to suffer the way that he did? And then in his death and then his burial and then his resurrection, because if you understand that and you meditate on the death of God's son, his only son and all of that, it addresses this thing, the problem of evil, why there is suffering. It addresses it all. And which leads me to my first um, keynote slide here today. And so. Um, it doesn't have the circle like I had it before, but this will work because last week I had the circle and I was told some of y'all got really bad eyes. So we need to pray for your eyes to be strong. And so you couldn't see the green display I had up here. And so, so I said, I'm going to help you out just to kind of give you a visual because I know this thing called providence is big, but at the top, it's a circle. It's the whole world. And at the top of it is God's providence over. And so you got there, Satan, demons, rulers, powers of rulers and authorities. And you now I added to evil and suffering. So you got to understand evil and suffering is not outside of God's providence in his in his power. It's under it. 
And then you have where I said last week, emperors, kings, queens, dictators. We talked about King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon. He was bragging one day how powerful he was and what he had did and this and that. And God had to tell him that he didn't do anything. And therefore you have princes, princess, presidents, governors and mayors. Then you got Christians, non-Christians. Then you got the universal church, the church, the people of God. And then you got all animals, even the animals, the fish, the birds and the insects. They are all under the sovereign providence of God. They're not outside of God. They're under God. I mean, you can go to um, read in the book of Matthew. Jesus says things like this. He says, uh, a, there's not a sparrow. A sparrow is a what? A bird. Just a bird that you've tried to run over with your car when you're driving on the road sometimes. And so a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground outside of what? God's what? Providence. The bird doesn't die outside of God's providence. So therefore, that's just a bird. How much more you and I? Your life is not up to random chance where Satan can just run in and just kill you off. It's not it happens like that. Now, God has in his providence numbered our days, some to old, some to 50, some to much younger it's no guarantee when you and I will give up the ghost. That's why you should live for God now, because you don't know if tomorrow's not promised. Next week is not promised. You're not promised in God that you may get to 45, 50 years old or anything like that. So but whenever it happens, you need to know it's not by oh God. Oh, man, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I wasn't ready for Alton to come yet. <laughs> Go back, Alton. <laughs> it don't work like that. So anyway, so question. So, so in a broken world, a falling world that is corrupted by sin from the fall of Adam. How did we get in this mess? Adam disobeyed God. He transgressed against the, the command of God. And therefore, the rest is history. And so in this broken world, corrupted by sin from the fall of Adam, which was foreknown by God. That's important to understand. It wasn't like, man, Adam ate up the tree and God go, man, I didn't know he was going to do that. Now let me put my plan in action. No, the word of God said Jesus was a lamb slain before the creation of the foundations of the world. So he was already that plan for eternity was already in play when God first made the man and woman and put him in the garden of eating. So I know that stuff is like heavy. It's like, man, why is all of this? This is why you just can't just run through this stuff. You have to think, reflect, meditate. What, what is it that God is after in the fact that he um, decreed that his son was going to be um, die for our sins? So in a broken world, God saw that. And God knows that there will be evil. Suffering, injustice, that's a hot thing right now. Why are there so much injustice in the world? He's like, he's got like, you know, I like to say like a pirate with a patch over his eye. And some theologians are trying to make God like that because they try to defend God and make him like Stevie Wonder and he doesn't know anything. He can't see it. And so there we as human beings have to take control 
back from God. So therefore, he's not doing his job right. So we need to make sure we need to help him out. And so you see that on this full display right now, this thing called injustice, um, wrongdoing, oppression, slavery. Um, so God knew full well that evil would exist, injustice, that it would all inhabit the world that he had created. Didn't take God by surprise. But yet all authority that exists, according to Paul, here in Romans 13, that they have been instituted by God. And that the one who resists authority is opposing God's command. So when people, um, um, even in a broken world, falling with all kinds of sinners, God put this thing called authority in the world. And he instituted all authority, starting with the mother and the father first, father and mother. And therefore, everywhere else, God said all authority that exists, it exists because of God. And the one that resists God's authority, Paul says, he or she is opposing God's command. And then Paul says that the civil governments and the authority that they carry in general, I said last week, I say it again, in general is a benefit for all society because the civil government functions as a minister, a servant, a deacon for doing what? For avenging and bringing retribution, which is punishment to the wrongdoers, to the murderers, to the rapists, to the thieves and the robbers who seek to bring anarchy by constantly resisting God's authority that he has set up in the earth to keep society to some degree um, civil. <laughs> Just imagine there was no authority. No stop signs, no red lights, no green lights, no um, just auto. I think it's called Autobahn in, in Germany. You can just go 200 miles up and down Gary Avenue. Some of y'all with them souped up cars. My son had one of them souped up cars, you know, Mustang. Just one, two, 50 and half a second. Just imagine. No law for that. Just go as fast as you want down Fair Oaks Drive where I live. Just totally, could you imagine? Could you imagine if there was no law for people to just drink and drive? I mean, they can go to the bar and just take Russian Putin vodka. <laughs> they got Putin on one side and El Shabazz on the other side. <laughs> and then add a little um, cannabis to it. <laughs> I was telling somebody, you know, people are talking about everybody. No, I'm gonna get into this, but um, about smoking weed. Well, see, people be talking about smoking weed and stuff. Man, the government said you can smoke some weed. Okay, next time you get on the plane and you're going, let's say some of y'all want to go to Hawaii, you want to fly over the ocean, go in there with all your cannibals in your pocket and say, here, here, pilot, I got extra weed. <laughs> and you look to be really nervous right here. Let you just smoke a whole bunch of it. In fact, let me give you some of this vodka too. You can just drink it all and fly us over the ocean. How many of you guys can say you're going to get off the plane? <laughs> you're like, no, probably. I want to make sure you're sober. I want to make sure. I'm going to put that little um, COVID test on you. <laughs> make sure your fever is not up. <laughs> we want to make sure that pilot is in all of his senses. 
while he's flying us over the oceans or just anywhere. And so Paul says God has given us a civil government for for that. Now, Apostle Paul knows that the civil government's main responsibility is for keeping some form of order in society. Apostle Paul is a smart guy, much smarter than me. He knows that. He knows that the civil government's main responsibility is for keeping order in society. But they are sinners like all of us are. And they will, from time to time, interfere with the ultimate authority, which is God himself revealed in his holy word. Now, this is an important question that I am about to put in front of us all. So I want you to wrestle with your seatbelts because I'm going to bring it into our here and now. So so what happens then? When the civil government, which God has called um, into the world, encroaches, which means to intrude or impose upon the church. When the government now, the civil government, begin to do that. So this is for important because we're about to particularize some of y'all say, what does that mean for us in the PCA world? Basically, mean we'll become our own church with our own deacons and elders where we collectively together here we make major decisions concerning the direction of our church under the direction of the power of the word of God and entrusting the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide us into all things. So this is important because Pastor Hart is not going to always be here and, and elders come and go but for whatever the reasons whatever God is doing with Urban Hope for 20 years from now 30 years from now, I'm in heaven looking over the banks, cheering y'all on. Say, don't give in. Read the word. Study it day and night. Meditate on it. Don't give in to the culture. I want to make sure there are elders and deacons who know the word because this is important. Because the elders and the leaders in churches must be diligent in the scriptures as they lead in all of these matters. So right now, some of y'all who watch television, who are on the Internet, there are lots of information that is coming out a year later concerning COVID-19 was created in a lab in Wuhan, China. And there are lots of conflicting research concerning the mass, the shutdowns and the vaccinations. That's not my point. We just live in a world. We have to deal with them and leaders have to make biblical sound decisions as these things come at us. So my main point here is not about that, but it's about this. For this sermon, it is about the church, which is under the ultimate authority of God, and it gets its direction from God through his word concerning all matters of life and faith. And so that's important. So my second keynote slide is going to speak to this. What does God's word say to us? Because um, the civil government came and told the church, hey, we're running, we're running, um, we're running um, command here. Um, and, and so you need to follow our lead and whatever this is. 
You can put that little small Bible in your back pocket and keep it there. <laughs> so, but let's go back to what the ultimate authority says. All right, first slide. Here we go on this. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. I've quoted this, and this is important because I'm going to keep coming back to this. It says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Verse 24. Paul says, or we believe, many believe it's Paul, but who knows, could be Apollos. Not neglecting together, together. Catch that. I, I embolden it because I want you to see it. He says, don't neglect gathering together. This is coming from King Jesus, who's the word of God, who became flesh. Not civil government. King Jesus, ultimate authority. The one that you and I were all standing before and giving account to. He said, not to neglect the gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing, for whatever the reason. But encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The great day of judgment. The great day of reckoning. When them skies are going to split, Revelation 20. That day, he says, don't start slacking off on church coming together. Be all the more coming together as that day is approaching. Who knows the day of the hour when the angels will come and whoa, everyone's going to see it. Man, what a, what a sight that will be. You know, Lord, if I happen to be here, I, like to, whew, I don't know where I want to be. I probably want to be on the other side, be honest with you. But whatever that day, it's going to be a great day. All right. He said, don't neglect coming together. But let's see what happens when Jesus birthed the church. Next slide. Here we go. In Acts 2, this is important to understand. As we think about civil government, they're encroaching upon and intruding upon the church. You shut down. What did Jesus say? That's what you got to go back to. Because we're under authority, but there is a time and place where, and this is where, I'm getting ahead of myself. You have to know when to refute the authority of the civil government as we are all under the authority of the, all the authority that God has instituted in the earth. And so in Acts chapter 2, um, the day of Pentecost has come. The apostles are preaching. Verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers, I embolden it because I want you to see it, they were together and held all things in common. Next slide. And they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all they as any who had need. Verse 46. And every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house and they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord's added to the number those who were being saved. So you see that. All right. Next slide. Well, as the church is growing, well, here, here's where you're going to start to see the the civil government starting in France and how 
The church handled it then, and which I believe how the church should be handling it now. Here it goes. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, and they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Keep going. And after they ordered them to leave, so someone gave an order for the civil government. They ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin. They conferred among themselves saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Next slide. And now it gets worse for them. They conferred together. So what should we do? Verse 17, they said, but so that this does not spread. What's not going to spread? They don't want this virus called the gospel spreading. It's a virus in the Roman Empire. And the civil government said, hold on. We want to stop this virus. Put it out. Put a vaccine to it. So here's what they say to them. So this does not spread. I didn't make it up in the word of God any further. Put this virus out among the people. Let's threaten them. Uh-oh. That's when most Christians are scared. When the devil says, I'm going to kill you. So let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. In other words, put a mask on them. <laughs> so they called for them and ordered them not to speak. Huh, we're going to put a mask on y'all if y'all don't shut your mouths up. Or teach in all the name of Jesus. That's the virus. The virus is Jesus. Don't talk about that guy. And Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. All right. Next slide. For we are unable to stop speaking. <laughs> we got something that, that, that we didn't start with us. It's called the power of God from on high. We got the virus rulers and civil governments. And we are not able to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. So they said, now, when he told you, if you don't put that virus out and take that vaccine, which is put that mask on your face and go home and keep that Jesus to yourself, we're going to put them hands on you. <laughs> As they say in the hood, we're going to bring that energy to you. <laughs> and they found no way to punish them. Because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. All right, next slide. Of course, the apostles said, well, man, we read our Bibles. We know what God has told us to do. So they're going to just keep obeying God. Here you go. And then the high priest rose up. He and all those who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles. So they're not threatening no more. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel, see, I love the word of God. See, God says, look, my earth, my plan, my gospel. So God, they put the apostles in jail. We told you guys to shut your mouth and put your mask on. Stop having church. Stop coming together and stop talking about Jesus. Go home. So they arrested the apostles and put them in jail. But an angel, God sent an angel. Hold on, what they doing? But an angel went down and the Lord 
open the doors of the jail. <laughs> and this angel walking in there like that. <laughs> angel say, <laughs> angel was walking real smooth. <laughs> and the angel came and opened the jail during the night and brought them out and said, the angel picked right back up what Jesus had told them. The angel got his theology down, packed, and the angel said, go and stand in the temple and tell the people about this life. What life? Zoe life. Promised land life. Don't stop talking. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, civil government has told them, shut your mouth, put your mask on, stop gathering together in church and talking about Jesus. That's the context. Jesus says, don't neglect coming together. We were told you can't come together. Some still not coming together. That's on them. What does God's word say? All right. And hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and the apostles, and they began to teach. Next slide. The apostles don't trial again. So when the high priest and those who were with them arrived, they convened with the Sanhedrin and the full council of the Israelites, and they sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in jail, so they returned and reported, and reported, next slide, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And as the captain of the temple police, police is like, see that? I make it, I love the word of God. Police. Now there is a time where you just supposed to not obey the police. That's why I have to be careful. Because most of the time, you gotta obey, I'm gonna come back to that. Police is involved. The temple police and the chief priest heard these things and they were baffled about them wondering what could come of this? Keep going. And someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. They're disobeying the civil authority command. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. Next verse, slide. And after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, did we, <laughs> did we strictly order you, gave you a civil order and command? Shut your mouth and put your mask on and go home and stop talking about Jesus and spreading that virus around the Roman Empire, especially here in Jerusalem. Did we not tell you that? Did we not tell you to teach in his name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, your virus, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Next slide. And Peter and the apostles replied, this is how we should reply. This is, we must obey God rather than people. Now that's an important statement that could take 10 sermons along. We must obey God rather than people. 
The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. As you see the disciples of Jesus, so we're going to obey God rather than the people. And our text here in Romans 13, Carl, you can put it back up there, verse 5 of Romans 13. Paul says, therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. Mm, interesting. Paul says, therefore, you must submit not only because of the wrath of God, but also because of your conscience. What is Paul trying to get at here? Which will come back to the apostles and what they said. We're going to obey God and what he's told us, which is preach the gospel. This is what they do in China. If you know history, they've been trying to put the Chinese church out of existence for how many years now? They kill the Chinese Christians. They tear down their buildings. But the Chinese keep doing what God has told them to do. That is one of the best times when you should disobey the civil government. The China government, the communist government, Red China, says we don't want you talking and meeting together and discussing Jesus. But the Chinese keep doing it because why? The word of God tells them to do so. And they have every right. That's one of the times where you should disobey the civil government when it intrudes over into God's territory by demanding that you should do something. And this is what Paul is referring to. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. Paul here is undergirding something with this last statement about the conscience. I'm going to read to you a commentary from R.C. Sproul on this, which I think really hits the, hits the jackpot on this. What Paul and by the spirit of God is getting at. R.C. says that we are not to submit simply because we are afraid of the law enforcement agencies of our nation. Rather, we have a responsibility to be submissive to the civil magistrates as matter of conscience. If magistrates are oppressive, if we disagree radically with them, we are still to render here again. Even if you disagree with them, you um, um, disagree with the, the, the civil government. He uses the word magistrates. And even if they are oppressive, if we disagree radically with them, we are still to render obedience because our conscience are held captive by the word of God. Since God authorizes our rulers and places them over us, we are to render obedience as a matter of principle unless they require us to do something God forbids or forbids us from doing something God commands. And living by principle lies at the heart of Christian ethics and the Christian life. We are not to live doing whatever our hearts desire. We are to be in the main submissive people, submissive ultimately to the law of God and to every authority that God places over us. 
That's a lot. So Paul says, therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. Let me bring a few things how this plays out even today. In our country, endorsed by the civil government of our land, you have every right if you got pregnant out of wedlock or in wedlock, doesn't matter. As a human being in America, up to nine months, you could walk in in any abortion clinic here in America and you have the government, civil government endorsing you to kill that baby. The law of God, which is written on your heart, would say otherwise. But the civil government would say you have that right. That's how that plays out. We as Christians are under the law of God. And this is what Paul is referring to with our conscience. Same sex marriage. In our country, two men, two women and everything else could get married. In America, in other parts of the world. But according, I'm about to do Dion's wedding, him and Martha, to the word of God, that's only between a man and a woman. But the law of the land, civil government, that could be done. And we have to, as Christians, you can't run up in the wedding with your Uzi and your strap <laughs> and do nothing crazy because two men or two women are getting married or whatever the case may be. That would be actually, you would now be sinning. You would now be actually, actually going against God in that way. But according to the conscience, we know that would not, and that is not flying with God. Same thing I would talk about, I got in my notes, gun control. Should you own a gun? Should you have a gun legally? And all of the above. And we know uh, our amendment with that. And so this is what Paul is getting. And this is stuff is real tricky. And you, you have to really be in your word, under your word, knowing your word, because God wants there to be order in the earth. So he's not telling you because you disagree with something, you could just go cause anarchy. And this is what has been happening. That's anarchy. Burning down buildings is anarchy. That is not justice fighting. That is sin. And I saw a lot of Christians didn't know which one was the difference because no one was teaching this stuff. Because I said, it's a broken world. There are injustices. There are wicked things that happens. But because of God knew that, God has still instituted the government and all of the authority that they carry as responsibility in maintaining civil getting alone here on this planet and just running around burning down buildings is not good for society as a whole. Some of you want to have your own business. And what happens in 20 years, you have a nice business in Fairfield and something goes wrong. And a bunch of people just come downtown Fairfield, burn up our church, burn up the restaurant, burn up the furniture store and everything else. We would say that's sin. Well, that's what's happening. It's not right. It's not good. And so therefore, Paul says, you submit to God and because of conscience, but you also because of your conscience. 
In other words, you're under the word of God as a Christian, and therefore you have to um, mitigate, navigate all of life through the word of God. And this brings me to my last keynote slides, which is I have here living the Christian life through the Christian conscience in all of life in view of the mercies of God. And this is my um, last keynote slide. I'm going to be out your way. Man, the word of God is so powerful. Remember, this is all Paul says in view of the mercies of God. How should we live? Submission, authority, civil government. Um, these verses hit it all. Here we go. Paul says in Peter, this is Peter now, how the word connects. Peter, another apostle, submit to every human authority. Family, all human authority. Paul says, I mean, Peter says submit. Because of the Lord. Whether to be an emperor, remember the diagram, they're all put under God. Whether it be an emperor, he doesn't say what he's saved or unsaved. He says he's the emperor, he's an authority, and because he's an authority, God said, I'll put him there as a supreme authority. So Paul says submit, I mean, Peter says submit to him, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil. So you can see the main thought of the civil government is to punish those who do evil in the earth to maintain some sense of civil uh, way of life and to praise those who do what is good. So if you do what is good, for the most part, you should have no issue with the government. But like I said, there are times where the government overstepped their boundaries, and I think they have, and I know that they have, when they told churches what they could do. We hear Jesus. There's nowhere in the text where Jesus told us not to come together. He says, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you're a Christian, you have been set free. You, your conscience, you understand where everything is headed. You are free. You're free from the entanglements of this world. You are a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. You are passing through. You understand who, what your true mission is. So, so Peter said, you are free people. You've been freed up out of Egypt from the land of Pharaoh. You're free. But not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves, doulas, a servant unto Jesus Christ, servants. He says, in that servant heart, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Keep going. Household slaves. See, man, it has taken me a long time to understand why Jesus didn't blow up the Roman slavery system. He didn't create anarchy in the, in the world. Some of us get tripped over slavery. I understand it. American slavery was not good. I come out of a slave descendant. I know full well. But you got to understand, Christianity is not of this world. It is, I said it before, it is supernatural. So look at how Peter now talks to the slaves in the Roman Empire. 
Pass on slaves. Submit. He said, right there, I got to go slow. He said, man, this God stuff. Pass it out. I know. Jesus, why are you doing it this way? He says, submit to your masters with all reverence. Not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Remember what Paul says in Romans 12? Bless them who persecute you. Seek to honor them. So you said, man, that's, man, pastor. That's why I'm trying to tell you. Christianity is the real deal. He says, for it brings favor. You want favor? No, let the prosperity the priest, the priest. Favor. <laughs> they don't talk about this favor. See, Chad, they don't like this favor right here. Favor ain't fair, they say. For it brings favor. If because of, here's that word again, of a consciousness of God. Because you and I are living in view of God's mercy. We're different people. We have a different perspective. We, have, we understand that whole thing about the providence of God. No one is getting away with anything. There's a day of reckoning that's coming. So he says, because of a conscience of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and you are beaten and you endure it, but when you do what is good and you suffer, if you endure it, this brings whoo, favor from God. Keep going. For you were called to this, not happenstance, but you as a Christian, you were called to this because Christ, he's the example. He's our chief shepherd. He's the one that we're following after. He is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. For you were called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you. He's leaving you and I as an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He did not commit sin. He didn't get revenge. He didn't try to get reparations. He didn't try to go get his even. What did he do? He did not commit sin. There was no deceit was found in his mouth when they were beating him up, when they were kicking him, when they were beating him and spitting on him. What did he do? He had pure holiness, pure righteousness. And what did he do? There was no deceit found in his mouth. But instead, he was, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten revenge, but he entrusted himself. Here's the catch to this, and I end here. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I said it before, and I say it again. No one or nobody in the room, outside the room, in the whole world is getting away with anything. No one. John and Edwards, George Whitfield, Alton Hardy, Miles Monroe, you name your person. Nobody is getting away, for we must all appear 
before that judgment seat. Paul's going to get to that. He entrusted himself of the one who judges justly. You say, how could Jesus tell Christians to do this? To evil rulers and emperors and slave masters? And Paul says we submit not because of wrath, but because of conscience. What do we know as Christians? This is the heart. What do we know? We know that there's a day coming. That's what helped me out. I didn't have to try to get revenge no more on people who enslaved the Hardy family because I know through God's word that there's a judgment day coming for everyone. And I pray now for those people that only hope they were Christians. So when you get in God, you start even praying for people to be saved because that's what he tell us to do. You become like Jesus. He's not wishing that people would perish, but he's hoping that people would come to life, come to repentance. Jesus is not, yeah, I want to send you to hell. Jesus is beckoning. He's sending people. No, repent. Come to me. Here, Pastor Hardy. Here, Michael Bowen. Here, Chad. Here, Dion. Repent of your sin. Jesus is not, go. Go to hell. I want to send you there. Hell is horrible. It's horrible. Jesus doesn't want to send people there. He's like, come. He's crying out to him. Come. Come to me. He's like cheering them on. Yeah, just go there. It's the reason why he hasn't come back. He's praying, hoping that your family members would get saved. If he came back, they would be lost. Some of your favorite cousins, favorite nephews, favorite nieces, uncles, grandmoms. No, he's praying. Save them, Lord. He's drawing them. This is why Christianity, it turned the Roman Empire upside down when people live like this. The world had never seen it before. They had never seen people who had hated each other, Jew and Gentile, love each other from a different mentality. How do you guys hate each other? How y'all hanging out with each other now, Jew and Gentile? Black and white. That's the, what Jesus does. This is who he is. So, Father, we thank you that you're the same God yesterday and today and forevermore. You're same today, right now. That same gospel that's calling people to live as you lived. When you were suffered, showed us an example how you didn't threaten back. You didn't try to get revenge. You didn't try to, you entrusted yourself to your heavenly father. Even while they were killing you on the cross, while you was nailed to the cross, you looked down upon your enemies. And you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you tell us, Lord, to, to submit to all authorities because of conscience, because we know what is right and what is wrong. 
for you have written it on our hearts from all eternity. We know and we live by the eternal word of God that is written on our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we wrestle in this hour, as we see these things called authority just totally be undone in our society here in the West. And sermons like this haven't been preached. They haven't been spoken of. Many have given sway to the prince of the power of the air, the God of anarchy, the God of confusion, the God of chaos, the great rebel, the great sinner he is, Satan himself. But Lord, you've called us out of the world, out of Egypt. You've called us to submit ourselves to all the governing authorities, whether we agree with them or like them. And then you tell us to pray for them who are in power. Lord, we need to pray for our leaders. We pray for President Biden. I know I've been guilty of not wanting to pray for him because I just disagree with so much of his policies. But you didn't tell me what if I agreed with his policies to pray for him. You told me to pray for him because this will lead for us to having a life that you want us to live as Christians on this side. So we pray for Biden and all of his administration, God, that you convict them of what they're doing wrong in their hearts. And you would turn their minds back to you, him and Vice President Kamala Harris, that you would convict them of their sins, Lord, and you would touch their hearts. You would visit them in their dreams, Father, and cause them to know your righteous ways, your righteous word. And we thank you for it now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for anyone here today that's not saved. They have not come to submit to the ultimate authority, which is you. I pray this word, if it's convicted their hearts, Lord, that you would save them and that they would come and submit their lives to the ultimate authority, which is you, Father, the great Father, the Abba Father. And that their sins will be remitted, cleansed away, and that they will become new creatures in Christ. We ask, Father, that you would do this now according to your will and your great providence. We thank you for all these things we have prayed and spoken for. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet as Pastor Chad comes up here to give the benediction and like to meet those you want to.